Yeah, fantastic, mate. So we, we spoke in the last podcast about sort of the first half of Liverpool season. Um, we went through the, the the runs of, you know, six straight wins to, to start the season and the, the significance of Sturridge's goal, the significance of the point at home to Man City and what the lead-up to that game meant for that game. Um, winning nine straight after drawing with Arsenal and things like that. Um, the Everton game, Manchester United at home. If you, if you didn't listen to that podcast, go back and listen to that one first because we're going to skip quite a lot of the season. Um, so it, we'll we'll come to the second half of the season, if you like, Paul. Liverpool at top of the league. Uh, I think by this point it's seven points clear. Um, we're getting past Christmas, we're into the new year, we're into 2019. And all of a sudden, Liverpool have got a, a pretty mammoth game ahead of them. Um, it's it's away at Manchester City. It's a Thursday night. It's cold. It, it was it was a huge game, and it was it was built up by the media to be a huge game. Obviously, it, it finished two one to Manchester City. Um, it could have been two two if not for was it eleven millimeters or something like that. So again, we're talking about people say Liverpool get all the decisions but straight away we've already mentioned two there that were pretty significant in the season and didn't really I don't don't think they really got um, what's the word I'm looking for, they didn't really get counteracted by another decision but you're looking at that game and I mean we were st- the thing that sticks out for me with Manchester City away is the end of the game Andy Robertson comes over to the Liverpool fans. He's pointing at his chest, at the badge on his chest, and he's saying, we're still top, we're still top. And at the time, I thought, yeah, you know, we're still top, it's all good. But, and you'll, you'll probably know yourself, Paul, the absolute elation in the Etihad when that full-time whistle went. It, it was like they won the title there and then, wasn't it? You know, I, I remember seeing people like John Stones just almost falling to the floor with, with joy. And even though Liverpool was still four points clear, it was almost like the pendulum took a massive swing, didn't it, at, at that point? I think psychologically, um, it was a big blow. Um, I think most of the fans knew it. I think the players probably knew it on both sides. You know, as you say, the reaction of the Man City fans um, and the Man City players told you what it meant to them. Um, you know, even a point would have still meant seven points clear, one game less, uh, you know, to go. Um, But performance-wise, I wasn't disappointed again. You know, I thought we played really, really well. Um, There was a few massive, massive moments in that game. A couple that you've already mentioned, but one for me that was probably bigger than them all that hasn't been mentioned yet is is the Vincent Company tackle on Mo Salah. you know, a lot of people have said, have had an opinion on whether it was a yellow or a red or whatever. Um, you know, and I can I can actually see both arguments. You know, uh, I think 
if you look at it, it's not a clear goal scoring opportunity. He, he's just inside the Man City half. So you could argue and say a yellow card was probably right. But for me, um, you know, the the, the sort of um, guidance you're given as a referee is careless is no card. Reckless is a yellow card. And excessive force is a red card. Now, for me, that tackle was excessive force. You know, it wasn't careless. It wasn't reckless. It was worse than that. And there was excessive force used. So for me, that is a red card no matter where you are on the pitch. Okay, that decision goes in Man City's favour. You know, we then have the the sort of mix up at their end where John Stones clears it off the line by I think was it something like eleven millimeters. Yeah. Um but you know, City go one nil up. Um which for me I thought was probably you know, I don't want to be too critical, but I thought it was a poor goal to concede from the angle. Um I know he's belted it, he's blasted it, but Lovren for me can can get a little bit closer. Um, you know, we react and I don't think enough has been said probably because it, it ended in, in defeat in the game but I don't think enough has been said about the quality of Liverpool's goal that night um, you know, I think um, there must have been I'm just trying to think of at least 25 passes at least be- before the ball ended up in the back of the net off Firmino um, you know, Fabinho would come on started spraying balls left and right and if you remember the ball goes from side to side it goes from um, Trent Alexander-Arnold I think switches it to uh, Andy Robertson it gets, you know, it just gets passed around and then I think um, if I remember rightly that the ball then came in from the right towards the back post it was then switched back across to Firmino who then heads in sort of not to an empty net but um, Edison had sort of gone to his opposite post thinking that I think it was Andy Robertson was going to strike it he didn't he cushioned it back across goal and, and Firmino sort of diving heads in on you know two yards out and I, I honestly don't think enough was said about how high quality that goal was for Liverpool um, you know I had the pleasure of being at the game and you knew at the game you were watching two of the best sides in Europe, you know, not even the best sides in the country, you were watching two of the best sides on the planet Um, you know City got the goal to then go and win the game Um, Leroy Sané I think it was and you know it it was a blow, It, it was a blow um, I think the, the defiance that you mentioned by Andy Robertson at the end was, uh, you know, I don't think he truly believed, yes, we are still top and this doesn't matter. I think that was a way of saying we're Liverpool Football Club and we'll keep fighting. Um, but psychologically, you know, that defeat, especially with the chance of if you win the game, you go 10 points clear. You know, I mean, let's not make no bones about it. Man City's a very, very tough place to go. We got belted, you know, they scored five past us uh, last season. Um, you know, when Manny got sent off. So, you knew it was going to be a tough game anyway. Um, we played really, really well. And, you know, on the night, we just come up short, but it was a massive psychological blow for Liverpool. It was, and, and I, I remember after, I think it was, I don't know if it was immediately after the game or it was relatively soon after that game, Leroy Sane actually said 
Liverpool have got to keep up with us. And people laughed. People laughed at him and saying, oh, he doesn't realise how maths work. And at the time, I was one of them people thinking, what is he talking about? They've got to keep up with Liverpool. They're four points behind. He was absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And that is down to the the massive psychological blow that was dealt that night. And if you look at the results that followed for Liverpool, I'm just getting them up now. Obviously, the, the debacle against Wolves, which we'll talk about. Um, a couple of really narrow wins. 1-0 away at Brighton. 4-3 at home to Palace. 1-1 draw at home to Leicester. A 1-1 draw away at West Ham. Then you'd had a, a Bournemouth win um, at home. 3 nil, And then the 0-0 away at Man United, which we'll, we'll, we'll break down a little bit more in a sec. But that was the run that effectively... It was the beginning of the run that effectively ended Liverpool's title ups. And as I say, people at the time were laughing at Leroy Sane, saying he doesn't understand maths. He was spot on. That was the 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 massive importance of of that game and that win for Manchester City. It was huge for them, huge for the title race. And I, I, I mean, you are right about Robertson's sort of defiance being a you know, not really believing it as such, but a sort of way of saying we're not giving up because we've cause just because we've lost we're not just going to give up on it um and that that made it a bit harder but i do think if liverpool i think even if they get a point at that at that stage liverpool go on to win the league by a couple of points easily I, you know the, i mean they would anyway mathematically so it was huge it was a huge psychological blow um We'll touch on Wolves. I mean, you'd just gone there the month before, not even a month before, a couple of weeks before. Um, you know, put out a little bit of a, a weakened team, which half of the fan base maybe a bit more were, were okay with, and, and quite a few were not okay with. I'm on the fence about the FA Cup. I mean, I know I said in the last podcast that the Carabao Cup for me doesn't, it, it's just not relevant for me at all. It's not worth. I'm quite happy to see Liverpool throw the youngsters out in the Carabao Cup. The FA Cup has got, I mean, it's significantly lost its amount of importance and its its shine for me. You know, when I was growing up, it was still quite a big thing to win the FA Cup. I don't think it's as big a thing as it was then, but it, it is still a big trophy. And I, I, there was a part of me that was disappointed. And as, you know... At the time, I think we spoke about it at the time, Paul, and it was we 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 understood that Liverpool didn't have a big squad, couldn't really fight on, you know, three fronts. Two fronts was going to be hard enough to fight on. But I think we said this at the time as well. That psychological blow probably worsened by the fact that Liverpool got knocked out the FA Cup. That's what I think anyway. Would you would you agree with that? That the the defeat. At Molyneux in the FA Cup made it worse for Liverpool. I, I do, um, you know, and I think it's easy for us to sit here in hindsight and and you know sound like we we know it all or whatever. But you know, I, I'm going to sort of come at it at two angles. So first of all, you know, that the question that you've just asked me is about you know, and we mentioned in the first podcast after the after the Carabao Cup defeat to, to Chelsea. Um, for me, you know, winning becomes a habit losing can become a habit and after the, the psychological blow of losing the game at the Etihad 2-1 for me the very very next game I would want to go out and win the game I'm not saying you'd have to play your best side 
but I would want to go out and win the game. That then comes to the you know the next point of um, and again we mentioned it in the first podcast that I think that's the slight difference is that I don't think Liverpool had the players to be able to make eleven changes and still have a top side. Manchester City, unfortunately, at the moment because of the riches and all the rest of it, and that's you know that's a totally different sort of chat for another day. But they have the luxury of more or less every position on the pitch. Whoever comes in is almost as good as, if not as good as, whoever he is replacing. We don't have that luxury at the moment. So the team that played at Molyneux that night, you know, we had the young kid, the young Dutch kid, whoever, whoever. Yeah. Um, you know, we had Camacho, um, you know, Mingley in goal. Um, they, uh, we had the young winger, didn't we? Um, playing on the left wing. Uh, you know, and it was just, I think Fabinho played centre-half. Yeah, he did. We, we lost Lovren to injury. Um, you know, and it was just one of them games where, you know, you could tell Klopp probably didn't want to be there. It was probably an inconvenience to him. Um, and, you know, it, for me, you know, we, we sort of understood at the time in terms of the changes. You know, we did have a few injuries and a few knocks which we needed to look after after a tough Christmas period. And, you know, obviously January then becomes tough and you've still got at that point probably 20-odd games to go, including cup ties and probably maybe 25, 26 games left. And it, it, it was a difficult one because, you know, as you say, half the fan base were okay with it. The other half weren't. From an FA Cup point of view, I, I sort of come from the point of view that the FA Cup to me, you know, again, I, I mentioned it on the other podcast, I'm a traditionalist. I, I love the FA Cup. Um, I would love nothing better than to, to have a run in it. Um, I'm lucky enough to, to be involved through my coaching in terms of the, the preliminary rounds and, and that type of thing. I've been involved in a couple of times and I was involved in it last season. Um, didn't get very far, I got beat in the first game. But, um, Don't worry, I'll cut that bit off for you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, all of us... But it's about creating dreams, you know. And for me... As a coach, the dream can be to maybe get to um, the second or third qualifier and play somebody like Halifax Town or Stockport County or whatever. You know, for me, the dream as a fan is to go to Wembley and to see your team lift the trophy. And uh, when I see the team sheet and, and, you know, it's full of youngsters and sort of people nursing injuries and people who haven't been playing, it's disappointing. And, you know, if anything, that's where you want to be. You want to be at the stage where if you do swap your right back, whoever comes in for Trent, say, for example, is, is as good as. You know, if you swap your goalkeeper, whoever comes in for Allison is as good as. If you swap your centre-forward, whoever comes in for Firmino, is as good as. Um, you know, and that's where we've got to get to. That You know, that's the dream, that you can have 22 players or 23, 24 players, whatever it may be that can all come in and do as good a job as the man before him. Um, you know, at the moment, we're not at that situation. And, you know, the FA Cup showed that we were knocked out. But that then becomes two, um, two sort of bitter blows within 
a weekend really because the the, the Man City game was on the Thursday and then the, the Wolves game was on the following Monday. So, you know, you've had four or five days worth of two blows and straight away, you know, it, it sort of becomes in the media all doom and gloom and that's it, Liverpool's wheels have fell off and, you know, they, they were top of the league but now they're only four points clear, they're out the cup and what's going to go on and questions then start to be asked. I think that was the first point, wasn't it? Really, when, when, sort of the the pressure was on for Liverpool. You know, it was, as you say, a couple of couple of defeats. One of them being in the FA Cup, albeit, but a couple of defeats where, you know, it just threw a little spanner in the works. And obviously, the the, the defeat to, to Man City was the first defeat in the league, and people were. You know, there was still a bit of talk there about you know the invincible record being under threat and things like that. Um, I don't think anyone, any Liverpool fans particularly, believed that at any point anyway. Um, but I mean, I'm just looking at the, the team to play Wolves: Mignolet, Camacho, Fabinho at centre half, as you said, Lovren, Moreno, a player who's wasted his time. Let's face it, at Anfield, who won't be there. Um, for much longer anyway, he's probably got about just over a month on his contract James Milner, okay, he'd, he'd probably get in your team, Naby Keita get in your team Curtis Jones getting his debut who I thought was pretty anonymous for this player who is supposed to be you know, the next big thing coming through the academy I didn't really see much from him that night, you've got Shaqiri, Sturridge and Origi, you could probably make an argument for Shaqiri maybe for Origi, not so much for Sturridge being someone you can bring in, but again, you look at it and it's, as you say, it's nothing on the likes of what Man City can change to, it's probably not even on the likes of the likes of Tottenham can change to, they've probably got a better squad depth than we've got, it's always been a problem for Liverpool, it's something the Klopp will, will likely address in the future, so we won't go too much into that, that's probably for another day as well, but yeah, two, two big hammer blows and then you're coming into, it's another run of games really where if you hand-picked them, you probably couldn't have picked a better run of games for Liverpool in the next five games. Brighton away isn't isn't the toughest. You know, let's be honest, they did finish 17th this season. Um, they're, they're not they're not a, an outstanding football team. No disrespect again to Brighton, but compared to Liverpool, you know, that's not a bad game. Palace at home. Okay, you can maybe say that's a bit of a difficult one, but you'd still expect Liverpool to win. Uh, they did just about get through 4 3. Uh, it was a bit of a that night, it was a bit of a ropey one. Then you've got Leicester at home midweek, and that was that was a a real missed opportunity where you, you drop a point. And before we go on, we'll just speak about those three, Paul. Um, the signs were there, really. I mean, squeezing past against Brighton and, and, and Crystal Palace um, by no means. In any way, shape, or fashion, you know, looking any sort of promise that they got through with that, it was it was very very tight. The warning signs were there leading into that Leicester City game where they dropped dropped two points, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, Brighton away, we we were nervy. You could tell that the, the previous two results had sort of had an effect, um, and you know we won the game one nil. Um, if I remember rightly, it was a penalty that we won the game with. Um, was it Mo Salah who scored it? Uh, I just remember, you know, in front of us, and 
it, it, we were nervous, but we won the game. And again, you know, you've got to give the squad credit that sometimes when the chips were down, in fact, quite a lot of times this season when the chips were down, the you know the squad have, have shown grit and determination. And I thought, as you say, you know, on paper, Brighton away, it's not a difficult game. We we've won there. We'd scored four there last season, and um, sort of brushed them aside last season. And um, as you say, if you're looking at that as a supporter or whatever, you're looking at me go, oh, yeah, yeah, you should be winning there. Um, we, but we made hard work of it. We got through it. Um, we then move on the following Saturday to um, Crystal Palace. And one of the things that shocked me, I think was, I think it was the first time we'd had two Saturday three o'clocks in, in a row for, for quite a number of years. Um, but we, we, we played Palace. Again, it was a bit of a late show. Um, we went 4-2 up with a minute to go and, and Palace then went down the other end and pulled one back to make it 4-3, if you remember, um, and just give us a little bit of the jitters. But as you say, the warning signs were there. Um, I think the bit that disappointed me was um, Tuesday the 29th of January, which was the night before we played Leicester. Um, Manchester City lost at Newcastle. And... Guardiola had pretty much come out without saying it and said if Liverpool win tomorrow we're throwing the towel in and you know we, we then play Leicester at home we go 1-0 up um, and then we, we switch off for for a free kick and Harry Maguire then obviously makes it 1-1 and Anfield that night was, was a nervy place to be it was uh, I mean, I wouldn't say it was toxic. It was far from toxic, but it wasn't, um, you know, the, the bouncing place that, that we've known sort of for the last five, four or five months of the season, you know, from, from um, August through to December. Um, and, and Anfield was becoming a bit of a navy place. The game finished 1-1, and I think, again, everybody sort of knew that that was a huge opportunity missed. Um and again, psychologically, I don't know if that sort of just—I'll use boxing termination. Um, you know, as I say, Guardiola's going to throw the towel in, but I don't know if that was Man City getting countered to nine and and just getting a you know a little bit of a reprieve and a little bit of a maybe sort of saved by the bell. You know, getting getting to the getting to your corner and have a thirty-second break and and come back out fighting in February, but it was a massive, massive sort of um, blow when when Harry Maguire equalised and, and Liverpool couldn't go on and win the game. And for me, you know, January was, was probably our, our worst month of a very, very good season. Um, you know, two defeats, if you include the, the cup tie, two wins and a draw. And... I think it was more not so much the you know the, the the results as it was but more so the the performances and the the sort of psychological blows um, and I think again that goes back to what we mentioned earlier about not having the quality to come in and replace tired legs and things like that and I think maybe in January we could have maybe just signed one or two maximum to just refresh the squad but you know unfortunately we didn't um, you know, and it it was. I don't know. Again, it's easy for us to sit in hindsight and yeah. say we should have done this, we should have done that. But 
you know, I suppose results sort of from the halfway through February onwards, you can't really argue and say, well, if we'd have done this, we'd have got better results because you can't really get better results than nearly winning every game, can you? Yeah, well, that's it. And as you say, no one's ever really got 97 points before. So it's hard done by, but it's it's the way it is. And I know you you say about hindsight, um, but with with the the you know with Man City losing away at Newcastle, wasn't it two one the night before? May, maybe that was again psychologically Liverpool couldn't handle the fact that they were going to go a little bit further away and, and extend their reach um, at the top or extend their lead at, at the top of the table. And it it wasn't really a, a moment of hindsight because as soon as that. As soon as that final whistle went at one one, I think everybody involved with Liverpool was very aware of how how much of a bad result that was, and you know to drop two points. You know, to, you say to use boxing terminology, they were counted to nine and, and brought back up in Liverpool's next game when when they threw one one away at West Ham. You know that was probably Man City knocking Liverpool down and coming full circle from being knocked down themselves. That that for me that that West Ham game was probably the the the, the lowest. Well, I, I'm going to say the second lowest moment of the season, just because it was it was dire. It was a real bad performance by Liverpool in that one. Um, and again, you know, you you're fighting for for a title. You're playing a team who you've already be four nil. Okay, you know they were much changed and much improved from the first day of the season. But you know, it's it's West Ham. You know, it's not like you're playing Inter Milan or, well, not so much Inter Milan now, I suppose, or Real Madrid or Barcelona or something like that. But, you know, you, you, you're playing West Ham away, you should really be getting three points in a game like that. And to, and to I mean, to draw, okay, it was, was disappointing, but to draw in the manner that Liverpool did that night was just, it wasn't, it, it just it just left a real bitter taste in the mouth. And I remember looking at the players who were clapping the fans at the end, the Liverpool players, and you're looking at people like James Milner, who who are always one of the you know he's one of the leaders in the dressing room. He's over by by the away section. He's clapping, but you can just see in his face that he realizes how how much of a missed opportunity again, and how much of a, a momentum swing they've given to Man City by by dropping points. What what did you think of that game, Paul? <laughs> Even be, to be honest, before the game, I remember we we got outside the ground quite early, um, and we were stood outside, and the team come through on um, on, on your phone as it does, uh, and I remember looking at the team and thinking we're going to struggle tonight. Yeah. Um, I think the likes of Lalana started, yeah, it did. Um, you know, and and I think did Cater maybe even start, um, if I remember rightly, and it, I just remember looking and thinking. This isn't our strongest side that we should be putting out here tonight, and I don't know if he's disrespecting West Ham a little bit or whether we just didn't have players fit, or you know they needed a rest. And again, it goes back to what we've mentioned about would it have been better to be maybe bring somebody in if they were available in January just to freshen the squad up? Would it have been better to, um, you know, and and it goes back to. Again, what we said earlier about the, the the difference in the levels of the squads and the players that are coming in not being as good as as what's going out. Um, Just on that, Paul, I know it's 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 a little probably off topic, but do you think 
that sort of experience that the Klopp and, and obviously he's not the only one in charge of transfers and whatnot, but the, the club, the the people in charge, from from that experience. I mean, you look at the results around January and and, and early February, you can see that they weren't as expected, and we're talking about weakened teams. Do you think if if this was to happen again next season, do you think money would be spent and players would be brought in just to give a little bit of a boost? I would hope so, because, see, the beauty about football is you can always learn. And for me, Klopp has actually already mentioned it, and he, he, he I can't remember what game it was after, but he mentioned in one of his interviews near the end of the season, and he said, you know, we need we need to sort of look at January. Um, and I don't think he meant so much as transfers, but he was talking about results. Now, if you look at the, the results in January, you then have to look at the replacement that are coming in. So you might have to look at transfers. Now, that might not be meaning somebody coming in in January, but that might just mean reinforcements coming in in the summer. Um, but yeah, I certainly would hope that he will learn from it. And, you know, if we do get to January next year or, you know, the start of February next year and the exact same occurs, that the players that are coming in are just of a little bit better quality than what we've had to come in this year. And again, that's no disrespect to the players, but, you know, when when you're bringing on Adam Lallana um, to replace sort of, you know, well, you can, you can name a few of Adam Lallana's in place of Salah or Mane or whatever, you know, he's not the same level as these players. You know, and if you look at Manchester City, because they are the champions, um, you know, if they don't play Leroy Sané, they can put De Bruyne in. If they don't play De Bruyne, they can put Bernardo Silva in. If they don't put Bernardo Silva in, they can put Mares in. You know, it's quality after quality. Um, and that's what we've got to get to as Liverpool. Um, but I think one of the most disappointing things for me on that night was it was like a carbon copy of the Leicester game. Um, we went 1-0 up. And then we we switched off from a, three, uh, a free kick and we allowed them to equalise. Um, Divock Origi had an absolute glorious chance in the last minute. Um, couldn't put it away and that for me that night the performance wasn't great I think if Origi had have scored we'd have been we'd have probably been smashing grab we'd have been you know we'd have been literally we'd have had to wear a mask um, because we were poor so you know that was the most disappointing thing for me was that when we looked at the team we knew it was going to be a struggle we still managed to go 1-0 up and then we switch off from a free kick they equalise, and you know, even then, we still had a glorious opportunity to steal the game, um, and we couldn't see it through. It was massively disappointing when he missed that chance. He, he come on of a sub, didn't he? And I think at that time, people were sort of debating his future, and I think even now, really, people are debating his future. But after the the, the recent, you know, obviously the the Newcastle goal, the Barcelona goal, which we'll talk about. You know, people are saying, "Oh, it'd be all right to stay on the bench," but you look at things like that and you go, "A top, top class striker." You know, we talk about Man City. Aguero goes off, and Gabriel Jesus comes on. He doesn't miss that chance. He scores every day of the week, and then, and then you look at. I know this is again a little bit off topic again, but Leroy Sane. There's rumours that he's going to leave Man City in the summer. Now, if he played for Liverpool. The be the be uproar, you know. Look, if if Mane was was, I mean, there's rumours about Mane. They're not as strong as the ones about Sane. If Mane was about to go, 
But Liverpool wouldn't be able to cope. They would not be able to cope without him because he is that good. Sane's about to leave Man City, and it's just they're not even they're not even bothered because yeah, they're not. They're not crazy. Someone they just know that there's someone else that they can bring in, and there's someone else that they can already that they've already got that can go into the team anyway. So that that is the difference. That is the massive difference, and I think going into that game. West Ham would have seen that Liverpool team with the likes of Lallana included and thought, you know what, we could actually get something here. And based on the performance, you couldn't have argued if, Man- if, if West Ham won that game. You couldn't have argued because they had, I mean, the, the goal he scored was just a fantastic, well worked free kick that caught Liverpool napping. It was Mikel Antonio winning it that scored it. Um, and, and you couldn't have argued because Liverpool were really, really poor. And we spoke in the last podcast about refereeing decisions. They got one here where Milner was offside in the build-up. So you're starting to think, when that goal goes in and it's offside, you're starting to think, okay, things are starting to change. But, you know, obviously it ended up being another example of Liverpool dropping points where it, it cost them. That, that spell between West Ham and Man City, you know, in the space of a month was was pretty much the nail in the coffin for Liverpool uh, there was a few more though coming up which I don't really want to talk about what we've got to um, after that after the West Ham game you've got Bournemouth at home and that at the time felt like the perfect game Bournemouth are a, are a decent team not in danger of relegation already at that point you know it, we're heading towards March where they're not really in danger of being relegated they're not in any immediate rush to start pushing into Europe or anything like that, they're quite happy labouring where they are in the league. And you're thinking that's the ideal game to have at Anfield. Another Saturday, three o'clock kickoff. Liverpool win it three 0 but it didn't. Re- I don't know about you, Paul, but for me, it didn't really feel like enough of a statement to to kick out of the sort of almost like a bit of a trance that Liverpool were under where they just couldn't put a good performance together. It didn't feel like they'd done enough against Bournemouth to kick out of that. I think people were just more relieved that we yeah. won the game. Um, you know, I, I agree with you. Again, I don't think we were great, but we, we'd got the three points. Um, Bournemouth, for me, are probably, as you say, the perfect team to play when you're not playing well um, because they, they play decent football. Um, you know, they don't really try and kick you. Um, they're not too much sort of in your face. It's one of them teams that, you know, as a player, you probably think, yeah, you know, they're a decent set of lads. They're probably all right in the bar after the game, that type of thing. Um, and, and as you say, we, we didn't play great, but, you know, we went we went and scored three goals. Bournemouth never really troubled us again. Alisson had a, had a clean sheet. Um but again, yeah, I agree. I think that the whole sort of feeling around Anfield was just relief to win the game after the the little run that we'd been on, and you know, and people then started looking and going, "Well, okay, we've won the game. Let's try and kick on now. Let's see what we can do." Yeah, and then obviously you, you're going into a, a massive, massive game after that. We'll just touch on the Champions League game. You've got Bayern Munich coming to Anfield at home, and I mean, it, it, it's always difficult to call a, a Champions League game because. You know, you, you play the elite clubs in Europe, so it, it's always going to be a challenge. Um, but I mean, it was it was difficult to call at that time as well because it was it was Bayern Munich and Liverpool were a bit ropey, and you know it, it was a bit of a mad one. But it finished nil nil, so again, not really 
it doesn't really help that I mean it, it, it did in, in the in the end in Champions League qualifi- qualification for the next round it, it did help Liverpool but in terms of that little run they had it didn't really help and then, then they have to go to Old Trafford you know, Mourinho's been sacked by this point. Solskjaer's now in charge, and there's a totally different feel at the club. Um, and it was, it was. A, I mean, Liverpool played well in the first half. Obviously, there was a hell of a lot of injuries in the game. Lingard and Firmino went off. I think someone else went off for Man United before that as well. Did they? Matter. It was one matter. So yeah, you know, it was the first half was 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 decent from Liverpool, but. Second half, it just through. I mean, just through the, the the sheer, the crowd at Old Trafford seemed to just wake up in the second half, and they sang that Solskjaer song. And to be honest, it goes through me because of this because they just sang it non-stop for about forty-five minutes, and and they just Liverpool could not find a way through. Every time they built a little bit of momentum, Man United just killed it, and the fans got up, and and you know, United probably could have stole that one 0 as well. Um, and and I look at you know these are the sort of factors that don't really get counted in in a title race. Liverpool went to Old Trafford when United were really on a roll and things were looking up, and Solskjaer was fighting to get the permanent job at Old Trafford. Manchester City went there when the wheels had fell off. He'd already got the job, and the players had sort of gone, well, you know, he's got the job now, so we haven't really got much to do. And that's the small difference where Liverpool and City differed. And you know, City City are a really good team, so you know it's not to knock them there for. But they they got a little bit of an easier ride at Old Trafford purely because of the difference in attitude and, and atmosphere at, at Old Trafford at the time. But that was another one, wasn't it, really, Paul? Where a nil nil doesn't do any favours for Liverpool at all. Yeah, I think, um, you know, at the end of that game, the away end had a defiant, again, a defiant chance of Liverpool, Liverpool top of the league. And, you know, that that was out of sheer sort of, you know, I don't think, again, the the away fans sort of believed that we were top of the league and we were going to go on and win it. It was just, look, we're still here, we're still fighting, even though, you know, we've just drew nil-nil at Old Trafford. Um, but I think it, I think it was important that you mentioned the Bayern Munich game just before it, and the reason I, I'll say that is because Bayern Munich came to Anfield, they paid Liverpool the ultimate respect by not attacking. Basically, they didn't want to concede any space. They they wanted a nil nil, um, and again they got it. Um, now it's not the first time, you know, on on the previous podcast we mentioned Man City um, coming to Anfield and getting a nil nil um, and going home happy. Bayern Munich also done that, and I think. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, basically had watched that game and, and wanted a carbon copy. Um, you know, you mentioned there that at that time, I think they'd won something like eight out of nine games. Um, they, you know, they were really on a roll. Um, the fans were getting back behind them. Rio Ferdinand smacking the table, saying Man United are back and all this sort of stuff. And it, it was a difficult day for Liverpool to go into because, you know, they are our biggest rivals. They are our enemy. And, again, they not necessarily, um, you know, you mentioned about singing that song. And, again, I think that was an act of defiance. I think that was a, you know, we're, we're trying to stop you winning the title more than doing it ourselves from a Man United point of view. Um, and it was a difficult afternoon. I think, 
Firmino went off injured. And once Firmino went off injured and Sturridge came on, I think Liverpool fans sort of knew that it was going to be a struggle. Um, you know, Firmino brings in different movements and different sort of, um, you know, he drags defenders around and he'll bring other players into play. Daniel Sturridge doesn't do that. Um, you know, Daniel Sturridge has his own style. Uh, you know, his goal against Chelsea was fantastic. But he's not going to drag centre-halves out of position. He's not going to bring other players into play. Um, and so it transpired that, you know, we we struggled to create any real chances that day. Um, we dominated possession. I, I, you know, Man United, I, I actually commented at the time that if Mourinho was in charge of that game, I think the Man United fans would have gone ballistic because I have never been to Old Trafford and witnessed a Man United team camp on the edge of their own box with 11 men behind the ball like they did that day. Um, but I think they'd sort of looked at the Bayern Munich blueprint from three days, uh, four days before, whatever it was, five days before, and and tried to copy it down to a T, and, and they got the point that they wanted. Um, that then put Liverpool back top of the league by a point but it also meant that Man City had a game in hand and could go um, you know could go back in front of Liverpool again so again it was a bitter blow it was and then you're going into the next game and you've got Wofford at home and it's a big 5-0 win Um, we won't go into too much detail with that game but you're sort of thinking you know this is a good result this is exactly what Liverpool needed and then probably the I mean I said I said West Ham was the lowest point of the season and instantly changed my mind and said second moment earlier on. And this is why. Um Goodison Park, you're playing Everton away. Again, it's a Sunday game, quarter past four kickoff, it's prime time. Uh, probably the, the I, I don't know, I don't see the stats, but I'd probably say it's one of the most watched slots of Premier League football across the week. And Liverpool go there and draw nil nil. Um and add to that that the fact that it just becomes they they lose complete control of their own destiny goes to Manchester City, and I mean basically from that point that that was it, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But that nil nil draw was, even though obviously without the other results happening, it wouldn't have happened. That was the point where the title went from Liverpool to Manchester. Yeah, sorry. I mean, I made I've just made I made a mistake before on saying that City had a game in hand after the after we played at Old Trafford. They didn't. We That's went okay, ahead of them on level games, didn't we? So, That's all right. And it was this game. It was this game, the Everton game, that you know, how could I forget? You know, the whole of the blue side of the City were basically again, as I've said on the previous podcast, it's their cup final. Um, they're not interested in, in Everton winning. They're just interested in stopping Liverpool winning. Um, you know, I've always said Evertonians don't support Everton, they just hate Liverpool. Um and that was the case on the day. You know, it was it wasn't an atmosphere of um tribal atmosphere, red and blue. It wasn't an atmosphere of Liverpool and Everton. It was just an atmosphere of we wanna stop you being top of the league. And it was a bit weird in in a sense. Um and you know, the performance from Liverpool wasn't great. Again, we, I mean, I struggle to remember clear-cut chance. I know Salah had one, didn't he? Went through, 
um, had a really, really good chance. And he had a didn't couple, didn't have... he? he? had a couple of really yeah. good chances. One where Michael Keane slid in and blocked him, and the other one was Jordan Pickford saved. Where I don't know, I feel like any other game, Paul, he might have put it in the corner further away from the goalkeeper, but it seemed to be just perfect height for, for Jordan Pickford, that one, didn't it? Yeah, it's... And I think yeah. as well, I think Fabinho had one, didn't he? In the, in the, I think the ball fell to him quite late on in the second half, and he yeah, sort of slips, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, didn't he, yeah. Um, and I think it was one of them days where we probably still could have been playing now and we wouldn't have scored. Yeah, it was, definitely. You know, it was just one of them days that you knew, you knew that day. Um, from the first minute, you were going to be in for a struggle. You were going to be in for a battle. Um, Salah had an off day. Um, you know, Firmino was quiet. Mane was quiet. It, it was just—I don't know. It was just, you know. Let's not forget that last year it took us till the ninety-fourth minute to break them down. So you knew it was going to be a tough, tough game. And, you know, it was then made worse that obviously nil-nil they were celebrating like they'd won the World Cup because that's what they're all about. They're not about Everton getting a point, they're about Liverpool dropping two. And it, it was just it was just a horrible day all round. I just remember the, the feeling afterwards, Paul, of just being like, don't want to speak to anyone. I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit here and just sulk because it wasn't even so much as it could have been any team. You know, it wasn't. I mean, being Everton obviously made it worse, but any team where Liverpool draw nil nil at that point and Manchester City take control of the title race, you just, you just, it was it was soul destroying, and especially in the manner that it happened, it was absolutely soul destroying. It, it was the realization of knowing that the title destiny had been taken from your own hands. Yeah, it was, and I take no joy in saying this whatsoever. I take absolutely no joy in it. But at the time, and I actually tweeted it, and I said, "That's it. It's it's over. There's no way that we'll come back." And I hate it, but I was right. I absolutely hate that because what what got me after that game was, you know all the pundits across it doesn't matter where you live in the world Sky Sports BT Sports NBC Sports anywhere they were all saying it's not the end of the title race there's going to be another twist and there wasn't Manchester City and Liverpool won every single game from here on out in, in, in the league you know and, and we'll just gloss over like most of the results after that because a 4-2 win at home to Burnley a 2-1 win away at Fulham which was you know some of these games Liverpool were a little bit not ropey in, but it was like the the they were never in control throughout all of these games. I mean, Tottenham at home after after Fulham, a two-one win, a massive massive slice of luck of Toby Alderweireld. You've got a three-one win away at Southampton, two-nil win at home to Chelsea, two-nil win away at Cardiff, which that's one you kind of expect. Five-nil win at home to Huddersfield again. That's another one that you'd expect. And then you're getting into the last two games and you're thinking, you know, I mean, not long after that, I think it was not long after the Huddersfield game or was it after the Newcastle game? I can't remember, but Vincent Company goes and scores that absolute worldie and you just, you've got to hold your hands up at that point and say, that that's that's it. And, and, and it, it all, I mean, as I say, it's not, Everton fans will have you think that Everton cost Liverpool the league. 
not really because Manchester United and West Ham and Leicester cost Liverpool the league in that spell leading up to the Everton game. That was just the final nail in the coffin. Um, but just just on that, Paul. Obviously, we said there that no, no, you know there was there was no twists. I mean, okay, you can probably say there was twists if you're counting like Vincent Company scoring and Divock Origi's header. But in terms of dropping points, both teams just went full steam ahead, give it everything they had. But from a mentality point of view, how how did it? How was it for Liverpool going from leading? the title race to all of a sudden chasing the title race and having to catch up with Man City how do you think that psychologically affected them you know going into the to the end of the season I, I think it actually helped us I'll be honest with you I think we were better being the hunter than we were being the hunted um, you know and after that Everton game it, it was as if we just sort of went right there's nothing we can do about it now other than win our own games and if we win our own games we'll see what happens you know, you mentioned there we, we, we beat Burnley four two at home. Um, you know, and and after that we then went to, to Munich in the Champions League and won three one where we were absolutely fantastic. We then come home um and, and we go to Craven Cottage. And I think little you know, we've mentioned decisions before and I think on this running this is where some started going in our favour a little bit more. I mean, you know, we had the mix-up for Fulham's goal between, uh, well, Milner comes on and sort of balloons it up in the air, and then we had the little little bit of a mix-up between the keeper and Van Dijk, two of our, you know, by far our best players, and they've had a little switch off, but we've gone down the other end and got a penalty and, and won the game. You then go, as you mentioned, about uh, in the Tottenham game, Alderweireld, and, and it's just little things like this where, you know, I'm a firm believer in, in football that you create your own look. And I think that because we were the hunter and not the hunted, the pressure was off. So Liverpool kept attacking. Liverpool kept going forward, kept playing good football and kept putting these opposition teams under pressure. And, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Liverpool scored a lot of late goals this season because for me, them late goals come from the other 85-86 minute work of tiring the opposition out and working round and working hard and keeping possession. So that goal against Tottenham, it was a massive striker look, stroke a look how it went in. But that comes from, from, for me, for Liverpool, for the other 93 minutes of the game, absolutely working their socks off to cause Tottenham problems. And, you know, them mistakes come because you're tired. You know, we mentioned on the previous podcast about the Man United game at home where them blocks became deflections and the deflections went in the back of the net. And that's what it is against Tottenham. They, they, them defensive sort of blocks or clearances, they they become mistakes because you're so mentally drained. You know, we then go to Southampton. And, you know, you, you're 1-1 and Salah sort of runs the full length of the pitch to, to put us in front. We then get the third goal because Southampton are tired. Um, it's then the Champions League. We beat Porto um, 2-0 at home. We then play Chelsea at home, which is just one of the best performances I've seen from from a Liverpool side ever. I thought we were absolutely fantastic. Um, I thought... The, the two goals in quick succession, I mean, Salah's strike was absolutely phenomenal. But the, the two goals, again, you know, Liverpool worked so hard. Um, at 2-0 down, Chelsea then come out and had a real good go. Um, they hit the post. 
Uh, Allison makes another great save. Um, but the crowd seeing the team through that day. You know, we then go to Porto and, and finish that tie quite comfortably. We go to Cardiff and you get the little bits, the little strokes of luck where, you know, Sean Morrison is two yards from goal. He's about to head into the back of the net and he shuts his eyes and ducks and it goes wide. You know, these are the little things that the penalty, I mean, people moan about the penalty. It was a clear penalty, but Morrison does these things because he's tired, because they've had to work hard for 70-odd minutes. You know, when you're battling and struggling against relegation, when you're, you know, you're playing against a team that's playing with tempo and playing with pace, and it's wave after wave of attack, by 70 minutes you're thinking, here we go again, here's another one, I can't live with this. And that's why mistakes happen. You know, you move on to Huddersfield, you've scored after 14 seconds, 15 seconds, because they just didn't want to be there. They've already been relegated. They, you know, they, they, this for me, it isn't luck. You create your own luck. Um, five nil then becomes a long, a long night. You know, you mentioned then, um, we then go to, to Barcelona. Um, we lose three nil, but we're playing very, very well. Um, we come back and we could have, we could have switched off. Um, you know, and, and you look and you go, well, OK, you're still in a title race, but we're 3-0 down in, in a European Cup semi-final. We go to St. James's Park, you know, and, and it was a bit of a topsy-turvy game. We're, we're 1-0, 1-1, 2-1, 2-2. And at 2-2, again, you know, I think previously we defaulted. We got a, a decision there in terms of a free kick for Fabinho, which was soft. I mean, he does touch him, he does put his hands on him. Fabinho makes the most of it, gets a free kick. Divocherie comes on and scores. I don't even know if it if it's cleanly hit Arigi. You know, it, it's just sort of it looked like it took a deflection off the defender as well. Um, you know, but again, it's because these teams are tired because Liverpool are absolutely dominating possession. They're moving them about. They're probing. They're prodding. They're going in. They're coming back out. They're going left to right, and these teams can't cope with it. You know. Uh, again, and uh, you know, so you go and win three two. You then mention the Vincent Company goal, which can it breaks hearts. It really does. You know, that's how you know that, that the title's with you. But again, I don't see that as a stroke of luck. You know, Leicester backed off and he hits it in the top corner. Ninety nine times out of hundred, it goes in Rose Ed, but it's the quality of 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 what's going on around you and and Leicester getting tired and all the rest of it that creates that goal. The unbelievable night that follows the the very night after, and we go and beat Barcelona four nil, and then the last game of the season, you know you're playing Wolves. We were a very very good side. We mentioned that on the on the previous podcast, in terms of how much of a good season Wolves have had. We go one nil up. Uh, Brighton go one nil up, and the crowd gets a bit excited. Within a couple of minutes, it's two one. Um, you know, at four-one, Liverpool again could have folded, but they didn't. They went and scored a second goal. You know, when when Manchester City are four-one up, and you know your dream of a title is over for another year, Liverpool could have quite easily gone. Well, it doesn't matter now. It doesn't matter if Wolves equalise. You know, because we're not going to win it anyway. But they didn't. They went and they scored a second goal, and that comes because of the attitude of the players, the attitude of the manager, the support of the fans all season. Um, you know, maybe a little lull in January when we had that couple of results against Leicester and stuff. But you know, for me, that the tide turned when we become 
the Hunter because the pressure was off and Liverpool just went and played some absolutely wonderful football. They did. Um, it's 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 bad to listen back to it and and put yourself back in that position where you're almost like you're back in it and you're feeling it all over again. Um, and it, it, it's interesting you talk about the tiredness of other teams and these little mistakes and you mentioned the the Fabinho free kick the, the thing that annoyed me about that one was Matt Ritchie takes two or three swipes at him before the clip that got shared around social media where people were saying he was diving you know show the full thing and and that, that is tiredness from Matt Ritchie just swinging a leg and swinging a leg and that is the way Liverpool play um, and again the attitude yeah scoring again against Wolves when you know they could have turned around and gone do you know what it's over forget it we don't need to score again. Let Wolves score, you know. We're not we're not forced to just take our foot off the gas. Um, the attitude and, and, and that's a credit. And to be fair, I think we've got to pay credit to Manchester City for for staying ahead of Liverpool and 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 keeping their place at the top against a, a Liverpool side that was just relentless and rampant in chasing them. Because there's not a lot of teams in the past who would have been able to cope with with what Liverpool done and how Liverpool pushed Manchester City and I think I think Guardiola appreciates that. Um you know, there's obviously all the stuff with the players and what they've done after the after the uh, league win and flying back to, to Manchester and all that. But Guardiola will, will be and and I think he said it was the most difficult title that Manchester City ever won. Um under him anyway. Um to win listen, to win fourteen games in a row, no matter what level you're playing at Winning 14 games in a row is some achievement. It is. To do it at the top, top elite level, it, it, it's unheard of. It really is unheard of. So, you know, you've got to give credit where credit's due. You know, a team has achieved 98 points and second has achieved 97 points. So anyone that tells you Liverpool have failed, Liverpool have bottled it, Liverpool have done this, Liverpool have done that, they're talking absolute drivel. Liverpool have had a fantastic season. We've come up one point short against probably the best squad in the world. And I say squad because of the replacements that they can bring in. We've got a fantastic team. And, you know, the first thing I looked at, and this is me being sort of completely optimistic, is last season Manchester City accumulated 100 points. This year they're being talked about as being the best team ever. And yet they got two points less. So they're not improving. Liverpool are now that's not to say that they won't go and achieve 100 points next season but can Manchester City improve as much as Liverpool can improve I don't think they can now it'll be interesting to see whether they can but the difference is whoever Manchester City bring in for me is only going to be as good as what they've already got unless they sign Messi then you're talking a different level but if they bring in a new left back he's only going to be as good as what they've already got. If they bring in a new centre-half, he's only going to be as good as company who's left. If they bring in a right-back, he's only going to be as good as Walker. Because, with all due respect, without looking at the likes of Liverpool, there is nobody else better out there for them. And Liverpool won't, won't sell players to them. Likewise, they wouldn't sell players to us. So if Sane does go and they bring someone in, he's only be, going to be as good as what they've got or what they've lost in Sane. If you look at Liverpool... And, you know, many, many people have their own different opinions. 
if we bring a centre half in, could he be an improvement on Matip and Lovren? Yeah, he probably could. Definitely on you Lovren. Know, you know, so if you bring in another centre forward, could he be an improvement on Firmino? Maybe. Yeah, I'd agree if with you, that. You know, if you bring in a centre midfielder, is he going to be an improvement on maybe? You know, and, and I, this is no disrespect because I think every player that I've just mentioned is 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 a really really good player at what they do for Liverpool Football Club. But if we bring in a centre midfield, is he going to be better than maybe Milner or Henderson or Wijnaldum or Cater? Maybe. Well, I so, think just on James Milner, I mean, his contract's expired, hasn't it? Or it's expiring at the end of the season. So, I think he was hoping that you know Leeds were going to get promoted and he could finish his career here. I don't know whether that's through a spanner in the works. If if we do go out and sign a centre midfielder, you know, they may they could come in and be an improvement on Henderson or Milner or Wijnaldum or Naby Keita or whoever it may be. And that's how I'm looking at it and going, Man City can't improve that much more. They might be able to get slightly better, but we've just achieved 97 points, the most we've ever achieved. And yet we can still improve at so many things. And that, for me, is what's exciting. That, for me, is what is we've mentioned on the previous podcast about the bigger picture. You know, Liverpool might have accumulated 97 points. Liverpool might have finished runners-up. But it's not the end of the journey. It's just a chapter in the book. It really is, honestly. It, you know, I've had this conversation since the last game against Wolves. And... You know, people were saying, "Oh, but you know, we Liverpool failed again." No, no, no. I'm sorry. In in 2013-14, you know, at that time, the way the club was, the players that we had, the manager we had, when Liverpool failed to win that title, it, for me, it was as if it was the end of the world because it, at that time, it felt like it was the only chance that we had, and it was going to be many, many, many years before we challenged again. Now, OK, fast forward five years. It took five years, but we come out the ground against Wolves and the first thing I said is, I can't be disappointed. I can't be upset because it's 97 points. We've given it a go. We've been absolutely fantastic. Going on the road to away games has just been an absolute pleasure. Week in, week out, everywhere. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, you know, it doesn't feel... Like it's the only chance we've got. It doesn't feel like the end of the world. It feels like, you know, chapter three of a long, long story. You know, chapter one was probably the final in Basel. Chapter two was probably sort of last season getting to Kiev and and, and qualifying for Europe. Chapter three, it, you know, has been 97 points and another European Cup final to look forward to. It's just the third chapter of one hell of a novel. Do you have any worries about... Because it's it's almost like a sort of natural cycle. If you go back as far as even Gerard Houllier, finishing second, starting to go a little bit downhill, sacked. Benitez finishes second... Next season, finishes, what, seventh, gets sacked. Then you skip to, to Brendan Rodgers, he finishes second, next season, sacked. Do you have any worries that, you know, that, that sort of cycle has become, not a curse, because I don't believe in curses as such, but sort of that, that's the that's the, the routine that happens with Liverpool managers. And, and, and I mean, it seems mad to think, and I really, really hope it doesn't, because I love Jürgen Klopp, and I'm quite happy to admit that. Do you have any worries in the back of your mind that he could end up suffering the same fate? 
there's always that worry in the back, but there's a slight, slight difference on those managers that you've just mentioned, um, especially the first two in Julia. You know, won a couple of trophies. Expectations go through the roof. Um, Benitez wins the European Cup, wins the FA Cup. Expectations go through the roof. And then, yeah, you know, we, we get the couple of seasons where we finish runner-up. You know, Rodgers finishes runner-up. Okay, there was no trophies, but, you know, he finishes runner-up. But I look at it, again, it, it's the bigger picture for me that if you look at if you take it in, in sort of Benitez where uh, we finish runners-up, at that time, the state the club was in behind the scenes was totally, totally different. Um, you know, the the caliber of players that we could attract was totally, totally different. Um, you know, at that time, Man United and even Man City to you know at the, to begin with at that time, um, Chelsea were all shopping in Harrods, and we were shopping in the Neto. For our players, that you know, that was the way it was at that time. You then fast forward to, to 13, 14, and again, you know, Man United was spending big on players, huge amounts of money on players. Manchester City were spending even more, and you know, again, if you look at the team that from that season, we had Suarez, we had Gerard, and you know, no disrespect to any other player, but. Really, what else did we have? Storage had a decent season. Sterling was, you know, decent season. Very but, young, though, wasn't he, Sterling? At yeah, the time? oh, yes, you know, Sterling was a young, young Yeah, young so he kid. wasn't really a uh, huge part of the team, I suppose you could put it that way. He would have became a massive part of the team, but not at that stage. You know, but what else did we have at that? You know, we had five or six bang average players playing out of the skin you know, to go for a title that nobody ever even thought we had a chance in. You know, I think around at that time we were, we were expected to finish. You know, we were struggling to qualify for the top four. Never, you know, never mind yeah. challenging the title. Um, you know, and and I think once that um, Crystal Palace game, I won't even say mention the Chelsea, I'll say the Crystal Palace game, I think everybody knew, you know, that what was going to happen, Suarez was going to go, um, at some point he didn't want to be there, um, and I think everybody knew that with the squad that we had, unless we went out and bought seven or eight players, the only way was going to be down. Now, I don't think at this time it's quite the same picture. You know, there's not as many rumours of, of of, of our one-star player leaving because we don't have one-star player. We have a team. You know, okay, you'd have Salah, who's the, the poster boy, if you like, and the the one who gets a lot of stick because he's been a one-season wonder despite getting joint golden boot again. Um, you know, you'd have Mane chipping away at goals. You'd have Firmino. We don't really have... Whereas over the years, we've sort of had, say, Fowler as your star man, Owen as your star man, Torres as your star man, you know, Gerard being your star man. For a long time, really? it was it was Gerard plus one, wasn't it? Really, yeah, with that, that's it was it, always... yeah, you know, and and Suarez was your star man with Gerard, yeah. and we we don't have that at the moment. We have a team, so you know, it's not like your your foreign teams or your, your Chelsea as it was with Gerard are going to come in and go. Well, actually, if I take him now, that's you done, because it, it, the club is in such 
a more healthier state. I think we can attract better players. I think we can, you know, we've got to the European Cup final twice in a row. You can practically go out and negotiate with more or less any player that you want within, you know, within reason. All right, you're probably not going to negotiate with Messi and Ronaldo and that type of thing. But, you know, again, do you want that type of superstar at the club? That, you know, that every supporter will have a different opinion on that. But, so, yeah, you know, there's always um, a slight worry that, you know, we could be sat here this time next year going, oh, my God, we got 97 points last season and this season we've only got 63 and we finished sixth or fifth. There's, there is always that sort of slight worry, um, you know, and Klopp will tell you himself, it can happen. It happened in his last season at Dortmund, if you remember, they, they were struggling in the bottom half. He was you know, highly unlucky, though, to be fair to him in that. I mean, looking, I read an article about that at Dortmund, and, and there was a, it was about data. And when he joined Liverpool, the, the data analyst at Liverpool went through and said, you know, you were tremendously unlucky to lose as many games as you did at Dortmund. Uh, but it is a fear, well, isn't it, gonna, that it could happen t- again at yeah. Liverpool? I mean, what I was going to mention about Dortmund, though, sorry, was just it. It was quite a similarity to to what we've just been mentioning about the previous managers. In that, you know, they had Lewandowski by Munich coming for him. You know, then they have Hummels, and and, and again, he's off. They had um, the the centre mid Mario Götz. He's off. Yeah. You know, and they had all the they had all these great players coming in, but I always felt that they never really had them all together if that makes sense. Um, they had sort of one star here and one star there. You know, Kagawa was a star for them at one point and then he goes to Man United. And it just seemed to be a similar situation to how Liverpool have been over the past sort of 10 years previous to club coming in there. If you lost one player, you really, really struggled and then another one come through and you lost him and then you struggled. And I just don't feel Liverpool are in that boat at the moment. I feel that Liverpool... You know, if Liverpool lost, and God forbid, I hope it doesn't happen, but if Liverpool did lose Mo Salah, say, in the summer, you know, we would all be disappointed. But it, I don't think it would have as big an effect on Liverpool as, say, the likes of Luis Suarez leaving the club because of what is left behind should one player leave. Um, so, yeah, that worry is there. But I, I just don't think that Liverpool are in that same boat for it to have a dramatic as a dramatic effect as it previously has done. For, for me, I'm worried about the, the. I mean, the amount of effort, dedication, determination that it must have taken to get 97 points and pull up a fight that he did. I'm worried that can they replicate that again next season? And you know, I mean, I know we're, we're, we're looking into the future a little bit here, but. I think the Champions League final will play a massive part in that. If Liverpool come away with the sixth European Cup and you know they win in Madrid, morale's going to be high. Team, the team's going to be you know very happy, and probably more. It's probably more likely that they can go into next season and and, and give it everything that they've got again. If they lose that Champions League final to another English team, I just worry that it might be. A little bit of a bridge too far to expect the team to put as much effort in as and, and, and the performances in that he did last season. And I think we'd have to be a bit realistic and say, okay, if we get back into the top four, it's been a good season. I'm just, I say, I'm not advocating 
yeah, Klopp leaving the club in any way. I'm just worried that history might repeat itself, um, like it has done in the past. Uh, but I I think that leads us perfectly on to giving our next podcast a bit of a plug. It in does. Terms of the Champions League final. It preview. certainly does, Paul. Well done. You're getting the anger this podcast and lack, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll be back uh, probably. I'm not going to give you the date because I've got absolutely no idea when, but we will be back to to preview the the Champions League um, final as well as having a little look back at the Champions League games that we just threw over uh, very quickly in this review. Um, But we will preview the Champions League final. Uh, We'll probably discuss in more detail the permutations of that final after the game and depending on the results. yeah that, that's about it for today um, thank you for listening to this podcast and part one of the season review my thanks to Paul Jones as ever Paul it's been a pleasure thank you and uh, we'll see you all again soon for all the latest head to belivesport.com and follow us on twitter at belivesport thank you very much